Today's the first day of the Coptic New Year. And uh, it's a very interesting gospel today that's, that's read uh, over us. And it's, um, it's kind of a stunning scene, if you will. Um, Christ shows up at the synagogue. He's asked to read from the book, from the scrolls. He opens the scroll, and what falls on him to read is amazing because it's exactly about him. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery for the sight of sight for the blind, to set oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So you can imagine everyone's just staring at him as he says these words. And then he ends and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled. And it's, um, and the way the gospel talks about it, as he walked past, all the eyes were just fixed on him. Um, and I can imagine as he read it, he didn't look down at the scroll. He just said it. And so it's as if the church is on the beginning of the new year is asking you to focus on who it is we follow, why it is we're here, who is this person of Christ that we are to focus on. And Christ says, I am he. I am. And so now the question is, how do we react to him? He comes, he presents himself, he says, I am the Messiah. And in this same gospel, you notice there's two different reactions, and they're both very different. Um, his words, what he said, mark a delineation. It marks a point where you say either you believe me or you don't. Because there's no compromise in what he said, especially when he said, today the scriptures are fulfilled in your presence. So either you're with me or against me. Either you love me or you hate me. In the words of the book of Revelation, you're either hot or cold. And there's really no middle here. And we find exactly that in this gospel. One group is very positive and one group is very negative. And so in the beginning of the gospel, it says, all spoke well of him. And we're amazed at the gracious words that came out from his lips. So there's one group in the synagogue who are just amazed by what he said. And then another group at the end of the gospel said, the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So another group took him, took Christ, and wanted to throw him off the cliff. And of course... This kind of polar reaction isn't uncommon. We find that Christ draws out this kind of reaction. Even at the cross, we see two thieves, one left, one right. One believes on him, one doesn't. And we, say, we see two sets of Pharisees. Some say crucify him, and the others take his body with great dignity and bury him. And we even see two types of disciples, one John who goes all the way to the cross with him, and another Judas who betrays him. And we even see two sets of soldiers, right? Some that are putting a spear in his side and one St. Longanus that says, truly this was the Son of God. And so the cross does that. Christ does that. When you face him and you face truth, you have to pick. You either go left or right. There's just no middle. In the retreat last weekend, uh, Abuna Daniel, for those of you who made it, graced us with his presence, and he talked about being broken and knowing it. It wasn't about not being broken. Everyone's broken. But it's about being aware 
of your brokenness. So if Christ comes into your house and discovers that we're not sinners, he leaves. And he's not a part of that house. Even he said the same thing. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So if you have not identified yourself for what you are, and you don't see your own brokenness, then you can take nothing from God. There's nothing available to you, right? We see the story when he entered Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee. And Simon was there, and the sinful woman was there. Simon took what? Nothing. And the sinful woman took everything. And they're both in the presence of Christ. But yet one takes and one doesn't take. So who gets to take? The person who's discovered themselves. The person who's sick. The one who wants to benefit from the doctor. And so in today's gospel, we read that Christ had to escape between them. And I, I can't really imagine what this scene looks like. Other than him, they're trying to throw him off the cliff. He's passing through them, probably touching them, and they don't notice. And this immediately reminds me of another scene when there were crowds around Christ, and people were touching him, and no one was getting anything. In fact, the people wanted to throw him off the cliff in this particular instance. And then one woman with faith touched him, and she got healed. And he said, power left me. So again, it reminds you of that scene. People are all over him, touching him, and people are getting nothing. But yet one person gets everything and gets healing. And so salvation is simply that. It's how we react to Christ. He's, he's a constant. He's like the sun. And his light doesn't change. And so how do we react to the sun? And today we see the same thing. Two groups of people. One of them wants to throw him off a cliff, and the other one were amazed at these gracious words that came out of his mouth. And so today we see, we see a lot of Christians in the world, but we also see rampant atheism. People are angry at God. And they're not just denying his existence. No, they're angry. When you speak to someone who's an atheist, they don't just say, oh, I don't know. They say, you're a fool if you believe. And what's interesting is you can't really hate someone that you don't think exists. And sometimes I wonder whether or not these people actually do, do believe in God. And that their atheism isn't really a disbelief. It's rather an aversion towards someone I know very well, but whom I hate with all my heart similar to the demons. The demons believe in God. They know his glory, but they hate him with all their heart. And so sometimes when I see someone so angry at God, I think to myself, do you really just don't believe in him or do you hate him? And they hate him. They ignore him. They overlook him as if he did not exist, pretending to be an atheist. In reality, they consider God their enemy, their enemy par excellence. And atheism maybe their revenge towards God, a God we do not like, that we wish wasn't there. And so why do men hate God? Why do we see this reaction that we saw today in the gospel? Well, the first reason is their deeds are dark, and God is light, and God exposes their deeds, and so I don't want to be exposed. So I'm going to hate God because he exposes me, maybe. But maybe their perception of God isn't correct. 
Maybe they were taught about a different God. To them, God isn't the physician, the doctor who comes to heal and to save me from illness and death, but he's a cruel judge and a vengeful inquisitor. He's the guy who's trying to get me. And so now, some atheists consider God as a menace, this imminent and eternal danger, an adversary in court, if you will. And sometimes it feels like the devil has convinced us that God doesn't really love us, that he just loves himself, and that he accepts us only if we act the way he wants us to act. So it isn't that God loves me. It's that God loves himself, and he only loves me when I do the things he wants me to do. And he hates me if I don't act the way I'm supposed to act or behave as I'm ordered to behave. And so God is so offended by our lack of obedience and our insubordination to such a degree that we have to pay for it with eternal tortures created by him for that purpose. And the question is, if this is the deal, who can love a torturer? Who can love someone that tortures others? And in fact, if I try to save myself from going to hell, do I really love God or do I really just love myself? And I want to keep myself away from this horrible place. And so then I don't really truly love God. I just love me. And I'm just trying to achieve eternal bliss and escape God's vengeance. And this is not the relationship that God has called us to. And this, may, this type of angry relationship may be the one that many atheists react negatively to. And I get that. And so if, if hell is this punishment from God, and then we have to concede that the devil works for God and that he's a minister of God, like a subcontractor. And this concept of this angry God, this offended God, is one that we see often, that God is just watching us, making sure that we do the right things. And where he's full of wrath when there's disobedience of, of us humans. And so in this kind of thinking, where God is this angry God and he tortures you if you don't listen to him and you don't obey him and you don't follow him, what is salvation? Isn't it simply salvation from this God? Isn't it me trying to be saved from him? So this means action. So this means... When Eggie's involved, there's always action. So this means... <laughs> I love him. So this means our real danger, our real enemy, is our creator in this world. He becomes the danger. And so salvation for these people, for these atheists, is to be saved from God himself. And so we can't love this kind of God, and nor do we even want to be around this kind of God for eternity. So let's go back. Why does the church read this gospel today? Why does it read it around the end of the year? Now, you remember the last two weeks we've been reading about the end of the world. The last two readings are all about the last days, the end of times. And so maybe the church is trying to remind us about judgment, about heaven and hell, about this new beginning. 
And then we think about what heaven and hell is, and maybe heaven and hell are exactly the same thing. Just like today, we saw two groups of people both react to Christ very differently. One loved him, and one hated him. And so maybe heaven and hell are the exact same thing. Maybe it's a reaction to God's love. Maybe it's simply how you react to his presence. St. Isaac the Syrian has this beautiful quote. I'll read you a few quotes today. I say that those who are suffering in hell are suffering in being tormented by love. It is totally false to think that the sinners in hell are deprived of God's love. Love is unquestionably given commonly to all. But love, love's power acts in two ways. It torments sinners, while at the same time it delights those who have lived in accord with it. So what's he saying here? He's saying that in, he in hell, God is there because God is everywhere. And God is love. So God is in hell loving the sinners. And so why are they being tormented if God is in hell loving the sinners? It's because of their reaction to it, the reaction to love, the reaction to truth. Some people love and some people hate. And he, he wants to give us an example. He says, look at the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. If you have trouble understanding this, was he not in his father's estate, the older brother? Did he not have everything belong to him? Did, he, did his father not love him? Did his father not come quickly and try to run to him and try to beg him to come to see the younger son, to, to partake in the joyous banquet? Did the father want to make him miserable? Who refused him anything? So if you look at the story of the prodigal son, the older son in the story, he's in his dad's house. His dad loves him. His dad begs him to join the joyous banquet. And what happens? What's the older son like? He's burning. He's angry. And the more he sees his dad love the younger brother, what? The angrier he gets. And so love elicits a reaction of anger. It's exactly the story of today. Today Christ comes and says, I am this man who will freeze the oppressors, who frees those who are oppressed. And people hate him. They want to throw him off a cliff. They're so angry. I'll read you the quote. He says, why was he not joyous at his brother's return? Why did he not, not have love toward either his father or toward his brother? Was it not because of his wicked inner disposition? Did he not remain in hell because of that? And what was hell? Was it a separate place? Were there anything separating him from the joyous people in the house, if not his own hate and his own bitterness? So hell wasn't a different place. He was in hell. He was living in hell because of the hatred he had in his heart. And so, my beloved, at the beginning of the year, we have a choice to make. And this is the choice the church puts before us. How are we going to react to the light? How are we going to react to Christ? I want to read to you from a book called Elements. I'm sure some of you have heard about this book. Uh, someone sent me this quote last night, and it, it saved me because it was perfect. He says, it's by a, a priest who remained anonymous, a Coptic priest in Canada. If you haven't read this book, I highly recommend. It's really good. I haven't. I always had it backwards, he says. I always thought that I needed to become a good person in order for God to love me or anyone. 
But the secret to being made whole, to real transformation, is that it is when we are loved unconditionally, while we are still acting like enemies, it is when we believe and step out and trust that we are actually loved, in spite of our brokenness. This is when the calling to become holy and pure is most felt. And this, this dovetails very nicely into what Abuna Daniel said last week at the retreat. So why don't, why don't people reciprocate God's love? It's also in the story of the older brother. And this will be my last point because there's a lot of chair movement. What did the older brother say when his dad came out and begged him to come in and join the, join the, the banquet? Who remembers? What did the older brother say? He said, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And here's the key. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He says, you never gave me a sacrifice. Could it be that the older brother didn't think the father loved him? Could that be the source of the older brother's bitterness? Is this, his why, is this why he reacted and so angrily to seeing the younger brother loved? Because he felt like he wasn't loved. And so when he saw him kill the fatted calf for the younger brother, the father, he said, you never even gave me a goat. I don't know. Maybe the older brother just never felt loved. He never recognized the love of the father. And that is why he has this reaction. So as we start our new year, we get to choose whether we accept God's love for us. It's sitting there. We are in the father's house. He loves us. He is giving us anything we want. And when we accept this love, then when we see him reciprocate love to others, we also are excited. We also become happy. But when we don't accept his love, and then we see him love others, we become bitter and resentful and hateful. I'll end with this quote. St. Isaac the Syrian says, This is hell, the negation of love, the return of hate for love. Bitterness at seeing innocent joy, to be surrounded by love and to have hate in one's heart. This is the eternal condition of all the damned. They are all dearly loved. They are all invited to the joyous banquet. They are all living in God's kingdom, in the new earth and the new heavens. No one expels them. Even if they wanted to go away, they could not flee from God's tender, loving omnipresence. So my beloved, as we start the new year, Let's all focus on understanding, feeling, and comprehending God's love towards us. And the more we do, the more when we see God love others, it fills us with joy and happiness. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Uh.